Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. As we continue our series on craving hope, um, we are moving through Isaiah, and um, we just want to focus on a beautiful passage of Isaiah 53 as we move through here. And um, you could turn with me to Isaiah 53, or you can listen to the beautiful words here this morning as I read to you this prophetic word of our beautiful, mighty Savior. Let's pray before we read this scripture. Father God, I pray that the words that were spoken by the prophet Isaiah would pierce our hearts today the same way that they pierced the hearts of the nation who heard it the first time. Though they did not know what it truly meant, we know the fullness of the story. I pray you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits as we hear it again, give us full revelation today in a new way in your mighty name. Amen. This is Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, we have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. And he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, 
He will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Thank you, Sharice. Thank you, Karen. Powerful, powerful words. Amen. 700 years, approximately 700 years before Jesus would be crucified, Isaiah wrote this description of how Jesus would die and the benefits both now and for all of eternity that we would experience because of his death. As you read all of these verses, if you just took a few verses out and pulled them out, you could say, well, yeah, I could apply to this person or I could apply to that person. But as you look at this entire chapter, this entire description as a whole, all of those things laying on the shoulders of one person, it's only Jesus that could fulfill this prophecy. So as we continue uh, this series, Craving Hope, I want you to be encouraged that Jesus is the one that's fulfilling all these prophecies. He's the only one that can fulfill all of our hope. It's Jesus who died for us, and it's Jesus who came back to life for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. In verse 2 that Sharice read, it talked about the servant. This is, he's talking about Jesus from the Lord's perspective. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. See, leading up to the time Jesus was born, the ground was dry. God was silent for approximately 400 years, and the religious leaders of that day uh, were bringing forth more and more roles and more and more regulations, and all it was producing was self-righteousness. They thought what they were doing was pleasing the Lord, but it wasn't. So because of that, the ground, the spiritual ground was dry. Man and woman were doing things for their own self, saying, I've followed all of these roles and I've done all these things, and they feel like they're close because they're close to this set of roles, but their hearts were actually far from God. But it says here, in the time where there was dry ground, what happened? The Lord, this, this servant, grew, growing up in the Lord's presence, came up like a tender green shoot. I love this, that the spiritual drought of the day didn't stop him, right? No matter what else was going on, no matter what God was or wasn't doing, no matter what the people were doing, it was God's perfect timing for Jesus to come about, and he came out of this dry ground like a tender green shoot, one day growing up to be the tree that gives nourishment to all who would call upon their name, his name. As I was praying about uh, the service today and you know, what he wanted me to say, I feel like the Lord just wants to encourage you to say, listen, there are many of you that have been placed in dry ground on purpose and he wants you to follow his example and be the tender green shoot that is willing to come up to grow. Does this make sense? So there's a dry ground, maybe in your school, maybe in your workplace, maybe right within your family. And it seems dry, maybe, you know, for those of you who are working in a certain place, I don't believe the Lord wants to say, I don't, I don't believe he wants you to use your time to pray to get out of that situation. I believe he wants you to bust through the dry ground and be that tender green shoot. If he's in you and he's already done it and we're following his way, so we have the opportunity to burst through like this tender green shoot. 
See, Psalm 1 promises us something. It says that those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating, it, meditating on it day and night, they are like trees. How does a tree start? As a tender green shoot. But Psalm says this, that we are like, te- we are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. It goes on to say their leaves never wither and, and they prosper in all they do. So what's happening here is this, Jesus in perfect timing came between all of these, all this dry ground and he came forth as a tender green shoot. And now fast forward to Psalms or looking at Psalms here, it's saying that we who meditate on these words, understanding what Jesus has already done with us, we are going to be like a tree rooted where? Not in the dry ground, but we have the nourishment right next to us. So we have opportunity not just to bear fruit in the, in the harvest time, but it says to bear fruit in each season, never withering and never dying, prospering in all that we do. So if we're meditating on what his word is, and we'll understand what Jesus has done for us. Jesus didn't wait for the perfect time when everything was good. It was dry ground when he sprouted up. So I believe the Lord wants to say to you, especially those of you who you might be the only Christian in your family or maybe you as a husband and wife are the only one in the surrounding. I feel like he also said those people that work in the gas fields and even in manufacturing, I don't even know what manufacturing all entails, but I feel like he wants you to know. Those of you in manufacturing, gas fields, and those of you who feel like you're one of the only Christians in your entire family, he's placed you there on purpose to be a light, to be the tender green suit that absolutely has the potential to become that strong standing tree will it no longer be in dry ground because there will be the river running right next to it. Now, if you receive that, can you say amen? That's amen, so be it in my life. You're not just saying amen, okay, that's a nice word. You're saying amen, so be it, in my life. That's what the word amen means. So Jesus is the first tender green shoot bursting forth through that ground, and we have the opportunity to follow in his footsteps. I like what it says in verse two, that there was nothing majestic about him. Nothing of that physical nature to attract people to him. So you think about that, Jesus' Jesus's intrinsic beauty was actually hidden from the most, most of the people of that day. Because the religious leaders were looking for this tall, handsome king. And what they saw him as is a rebellious carpenter's son. So he didn't have the physical attributes that they were looking for, so they looked past him. In fact, not only did he not look like it, he didn't act like that they thought he was going to. But he didn't use those things. What, the way God created him wasn't because of his looks to attract people. It was his anointing. Right, It was to be his love, his compassion, and his power that were a catalyst for people to be drawn unto him so that they would hear the message of God's love, of Jesus' upcoming forgiveness on the cross, and then give their lives to him and follow him. So what happened is this. He didn't use a trendy haircut, he didn't use a stylish beard, and he didn't wear skinny jeans. <laughs> Thank God I don't have to follow that trend. <laughs> but what happened is this. He took the position of a suffering servant. He didn't come as a high and mighty king. He took the position of a suffering servant. And what he was doing is he was reintroducing a kingdom that was lost, that was forfeited at the Garden of Eden. Why was he reintroducing? It was to reestablish our position as princes and princesses of the kingdom in which was forfeited. But he didn't come with all this power in the earthly way. He came as a suffering servant. There was nothing majestic about him. I said it last week. He did this so we could get what he deserved. And he took what we deserved. 
There's spiritual healing in these verses. In verse three, I'm gonna pick apart some of these verses. I won't read the whole thing because I wanna extract the spiritual side and the physical healing as well later on. Isaiah 53, three, it says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Can you say despised? Despised. Rejected. Rejected. Sorrows. Grief. It was eye-opening for me to look up what these things meant, uh, the fullness of their definitions in the original language. Despised meaning being looked down upon, being criticized, and being hated. Being rejected means to be forsaken, to be refused, to be abandoned, to be left by others, which happened with his own followers on the night before his crucifixion. Sorrows means anguish, deep mental suffering. And the deepest grief here, talking about misery resulting from affliction. Like if you stop and you consider just these four words of what he, was, how he was treated and then compare them to what we oftentimes face, what he suffered is far more than we will ever have to suffer. You know, think about a time when you were rejected. Think about a time where you were despised. Think about a time where you had sorrow. I think when you, when you think about your personal experience and then you just go back to his word and read what Jesus actually experienced, I believe two very, very clear things will happen. Number one, you will realize that he has suffered more than you will ever suffer. So for that, I have the worst life. I've been given the worst whatever. This is the worst day. No, no, no. Just go back and read one verse from Isaiah 53 and you'll realize he has suffered more than you will ever suffer. So you don't have to experience the lasting effects of what you've suffered. So you say, well, why do I still have to suffer it? Listen, this is life. We're living in a sinful world, but he suffered it so you don't have to receive and live in all of the junk that the devil would want you to live in because you've suffered those things. That's the second thing is not just so we don't have to experience all those long lasting effects, but we actually get to have what he has. So instead of being despised and looked down upon, we are adored, we are encouraged, we are esteemed, and we are loved by God. Instead of being rejected, we're accepted, we're welcomed into the kingdom, we're approved of by the Father, we're trusted, and we're included in his family. Instead of sorrows and anguish and mental suffering, we have rejoicing, we have comfort, we have reassurance that he loves us. Instead of that grief and misery resulting from affliction, we have gladness, we have hopefulness, and we can have joy. There's a great exchange. Dave, you can come up at this time, just with that one. So what happens is, is the, it's the great exchange that we've been talking about. We have the king of all kings going to the cross, and we have us. There's only so many people I can ask to wear a bag on their head. You might want to show the right and then the left. Okay. How many of you know this is your identity before you come to Christ? Right? You feel despised. You feel rejected. You're a person of grief and sorrow. Why? Because you're wearing the guilt of your sin. You're walking in shame. You're walking in condemnation. So this is your soul, even if you fake it for so long at church. But what happens is, you could take that off now, Dave. What happens is when you come to Jesus, you hand him, you can hand that to me. You hand him your sorrows, your griefs, your rejection, your, your deepest pain. You hand him all of these things, which are all wrapped up into your sins. And he doesn't just say thank you. He actually hands you a crown and you get to put it on. So it's the great exchange. You look good. 
So what this means is we shouldn't be miserable Christians walking around just surviving another day. If we actually catch this seriously, he took on, he wore all of our sin. He became our sin. He was despised and rejected so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not just making it. You're a prince and a princess of the most high God. That's the great exchange. I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Thanks, Dave. So we see in verse three, it says, this is what's happened of why he did what he did. In verse three, it says, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Why didn't we care? I was like, what do you mean? You're telling me I don't care. Like I'm reading these verses personally. The reason why we don't care is we haven't kept our eyes on him long enough to know what he did for us. So it's saying here, we turned our backs and we're looking the other way. If you're looking the other way, you're not gonna see what he did. So now he's despised in your place. And yet we don't care in our soul if we're going the other way. Verse six, it says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That big, that word yet is a small word and it's really big. We have left God's plans to follow our own. Yet, yet the Lord laid on him all of our sins. What this looks like in verse three is a lack of repentance, right? It's a lack of, the reason why we're going our own way, the reason why we're like sheep that have gone astray, that we're looking in our own direction is because we have not repented. We have not realized uh, in some, some point in our life that we're living in sin and we're headed in our own way and it's selfish and it's self-centered and it's for our own needs. And at some point there has to be a repentance, a turning away from that sin, a changing of the way we think. Repentance, change the way you think, change your mind. It's like saying this, I now realize the junk that I'm doing and the habits that I have in my life are not from God. It's the revelation of the mind and in the heart where you're saying, I'm walking in the wrong direction. I haven't realized what he did for me in Isaiah 53 was for me. So I don't have to walk being rejected. I don't have to walk being despised. I don't have to walk being all alone. I don't have to walk under guilt or shame. He's done these things for the great exchange to happen. Jesus is our great shepherd. He's not gonna take us on a path of destruction. He's not gonna take us into unsafe territory where he's not there, where he's not there. You might be taken to unsafe territory. You might be taken to very dry ground, but he'll be there because he's the good shepherd. But I do believe it's a question each one of us need to ask in this place is, are you walking in your own path on life? Have you turned and looked the other way? Is there lacking repentance in your life? Have you found your own path, your own roadway, and you've kind of just gotten comfortable this way? Three, four, five years later, you look and God's like way over there and you're no longer realizing what he's done for you. The good news is, is the shepherd's not gonna come and beat you over the head. You can do this, I'm sorry. And you can turn around from the path that you're on today and repent and come right back into the sheepfold. Come right back into the good shepherd's arms. He'll comfort you and lead you and guide you back into the destiny he had for you before the day you were born. That's the grace of God. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Verse 10, it says this, it was the Lord's good plan 
Some of your translations might say pleasure, which messed with me when I was learning these verses years and years ago. Like it was his pleasure. It pleased him, I think some of your translations might say. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief that when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. So it's not that God enjoyed this like a sick form of humor to send his son to the cross. What it's saying is his plan, his purpose, and his will was good. Because before the eons of time, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit figured out how this would happen, of how Jesus would come as God in the flesh and perform all of these things for this purpose. What does it say? Out of his good and pleasing plan to crush Jesus, not out of anger, not out of hatred, not out of despise, it was his plan to crush him so that after all of these things were accomplished, Jesus would have descendants. That's you and me. That's any believer around the world. It was worth it for Christ to go to the cross and die and then be resurrected that he would have descendants. Just like it was worth it for God to give Adam and Eve the right to choose back in the garden with his will and his good, pleasing purpose for Adam and Eve to produce descendants that would fear and honor God and yet sin quickly ruined that. So Jesus came back to restore God's original plan. In verse 11, it says, when he sees that all is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. So what's being accomplished here? Salvation, redemption, justification, forgiveness, healing, deliverance, freedom from the law, freedom from sin, and so much more. This is why he'll be satisfied. It says, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. This is Old Testament prophecy. I wanna show you in Romans chapter four where this is fulfilled. In verse 23, it says this. When God counted him as righteous, him is Jesus. So when God counted Jesus as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. How are we counted righteousness in God? If we believe in him. So it doesn't say if we figured out all of the Old Testament laws and all of the laws that came in between the Old and the New Testament, if we figure all these things out and follow those to a T, then we'll be counted righteous. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. And now it's saying here, God's counting Jesus as righteous because he is righteous. And it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. God will count us righteous if we believe it requires faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior to be counted righteous, to go from unrighteousness to righteousness. It says God was the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It says he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So Jesus came as the righteous one and he died unjustly as an unrighteous one because he was wearing on himself the sins of the world. And because of that, now we can be counted righteous. I feel, like, I feel like we need to get this issue right in our hearts and it's gonna free us up from so much guilt and condemnation where you're, you, you have to draw a line with what the word's saying and, and stop allowing your emotions to create theology. For instance, this, we're either 
There's no, there's no verse that says you're half righteous and half unrighteous. You're, you're righteousness-ish. Like that's not what it says. So you're either the righteousness of God in Christ or you're a filthy, rotten, dirty sinner headed to hell. Like you don't get to squeeze half your body in heaven one day. Right? So would you believe this? Would you agree with this? You're either the righteousness of God in Christ or you're unrighteous. God loves both, but there will be a final day of reckoning when the righteous are put into his kingdom for all eternity and the other ones are not. They're cast into the lake of fire. There's no middle road. There's no waiting ground here. This is a heaven and hell issue. So it's easy to believe this part, right? We're past part one. But I believe many Christians live out their daily routine believing that not all of their sins are forgiven. So like his blood dropping from his arms and his feet and his head didn't count for just some of your sins. Well, I'm not sure if I'm forgiven for the sins in the future. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were in the future. I've heard that said before. Well, he hasn't forgiven my sins in the future. He died 2,000 years before you were born. Every single one of your sins was in the future when he shed his blood on the cross. So listen. I'm not saying to live like a sinner. I'm not saying don't confess and repent. Hear what I'm saying. You have to justify in your heart. Either all of your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus or none of them are. Well, all of them are except that really big one I did when I was 12 years old when I really hurt this person. No! You, because people allow guilt and shame over past mistakes to just drag them down. Get into your prayer closet when the Lord by the Holy Spirit reveals that you are missing the mark, meaning you are in sin. He will reveal it to you. Confess it, repent of it, and move on. Your creator's remembering it no more, and you are. So I just feel like this issue of righteousness is so important that we realize that. You are, I mean, you, you have the honor to be called the righteousness of God. And we almost disgrace what he did on the cross because we're living in such a way like we're not forgiven. And that doesn't let us live in sin. Are you hearing me? I want to like keep retracting that. Confession, repentance, absolute must. You live an unrepentant life, you will walk very far from God. You will destroy your own life and you'll wonder why you're a Christian and your life is a wreck. It's because you have unrepentant sin in your life. It doesn't mean that his blood didn't pay for that. It means you didn't repent of it and turn away from it. I've said this before. It's like we think like the devil's after us. No, just live in sin yourself. You'll destroy your own life. So there's a weightiness and a destruction of sin. I'm saying Jesus paid for it all. If we start believing that and living like that, maybe we won't live in the guilt when we do mess up. We'll confess, we'll repent, and then we'll move on as princes and princesses of the king. How would that look like? A life without guilt and shame. Act, sensitivity to the Lord. Sensitivity, enough, where you, you lie, small lie. You do something small, you do something big. The same reaction happens. The Holy Spirit's showing you, you are not living according to your calling. We think God's pounding us down. No, he's saying, listen, remember, you're a prince, you're a princess, you're a child of the king. You're not living how you should. That's why he marks your spirit the way he does. So he draws out the mistake, the sin. Not so it, he holds it over your head the rest of your life. That's not it. 
It's to identify and say, oh my goodness, you're the good shepherd and I've chosen to leave. I've chosen to try to sneak out of the fence. It's like the barbed wire fence. When he's trying to sneak out, that should hurt a little bit. It's called the Holy Spirit. He just wants you to get back in. He wants to correct the ways that are incorrect. If he's placed his crown on you, like we should act like that. Can you imagine that? Like the king with a crown on, completely acting outside of his royalty. It would look silly. If he was out there doing what paupers did and what slaves did, right? His, his other king friend, or if he was the prince out there, the king wouldn't come just to punish him, to make him feel stupid. He'd say, um, you belong in the palace. Stop doing what you're doing. I don't know why I'm hammering this so hard today. Obviously, somebody needs to hear it. I'm going to talk briefly about physical healing because it's one in the same package. I think we missed this too. In Isaiah chapter 53 in verse four, a portion of it, one of the sentences says, it was our weaknesses. Some of your translations will say illnesses. This is physical or sicknesses, physical. Yet it was our weaknesses, illnesses, sicknesses he carried. And it was our sorrows. This word sorrow, I was like, you know, I wonder why the New Living Translation uh, translated it like this because in many of your translations, it actually uses the word disease, which is physical. Some theologians would say this sorrow is anguish that comes from physical pain. So it's all tied in. Don't let these verses confuse you. Isaiah's prophesying through and you're seeing forgiveness of sins, dying for sin, despised, rejected. But then he's actually saying he carried on himself your physical illnesses, your physical diseases, and the anguish that comes from that. Don't let, because they're in one package, them confuse you. So no, 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 that's a spiritual weakness. That's a spiritual sorrow. No, it's not. He carried your sicknesses and he carried your pain. Then in the second part of verse five, it says he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Now, the reason why I'm pulling these verses so you could see this is physical healing that is different than spiritual healing, but it's all in one package, all right? So I'm just pulling them out to show you, but put it right back into context. Read these verses in context, but understand what they mean as you're reading each of these words. See, if we look at these as two different sets of qualifiers, then we're gonna believe like, well, okay, he does some of these things all the time and some of these things this time. So we say, well, every time somebody comes for forgiveness, they're forgiven. But every time somebody comes for healing, they're not always healed. But we don't always know that these people that are coming for forgiveness are actually believing in faith or not. You can't, you can't see it, so you don't know. That's between them and the Lord. But it's the same Jesus, the same cross, the same blood, the same beatings, the same nails that offered both salvation, forgiveness of sins, and healing of diseases. We have separated these things so far because of our personal experience. We've actually made them two different events. But it's the same event. He was beaten on the way to the cross. He was whipped on the way to the cross. He dies on the cross. It's a package deal. We can't separate these things or we'll say, well, and anybody that wants to get saved gets saved, but not everybody that wants to get healed gets healed. And then what you've just done is you've used a personal experience in this realm of, of this physical realm to actually define what you believe about God instead of his word. 
So think when you buy a car, you get the engine and the wheels, right? It's part of a package. The wheels, they might wear out and you might have to get new fresh wheels every once in a while, but the wheels are still, the tires, I should say, are just as much a part of the car as the engine. You don't buy the car and they take the wheels and the tires off and everything and say, okay, you have to pick these up later. These are more. Now you get it as one package. That's what the cross, the atonement was. It was one package, salvation, healing, and deliverance. So people will say, you know, they'll argue about if it's always God's will, is it God's will to heal them? Remember the Lord showed me one time in the scripture that says that it is God's will that none should perish. Okay? So God, or, or some of your translations say, it, God is not willing that any should perish. So if it is God's will for every single person that walks the face of this earth to find him, that they won't perish, they'll have eternal life, is his will always accomplished? This is our, this is a, you almost don't want to say the word no in church. Is his perfect will always accomplished? Are people going to hell? Is somebody going to die across this world today and not know Jesus as Savior and head for the lake of eternal fire? Yes. Which means God has a perfect, pleasing will that always isn't accomplished. That isn't always accomplished, I should say. Meaning it's his will, it's his plan, it's his pleasure that everyone would come to repentance. And yet that doesn't happen. So if I believe that, then I can also believe that it's always his will every single time for us to be well, for us to recover, for us to be healed, and yet we don't experience it. So on both sides of the coin, which is the same coin, we have an opportunity to grow in our faith. We have an opportunity, if we're already born again, to help these people who don't yet know him to receive by faith. Say, I'm gonna believe in a realm that's greater than mine to receive forgiveness of my sins, to believe that he actually bore all of my sins. This side, we are hundreds, if not thousands of years behind the, 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 the curve here. Even 500 years ago, the Reformation, right? You could be born again right now. I could just believe. They used to believe like it was like a week-long process. You'd have to go and talk to people and figure all this out and jump through all these hoops. And we realize, no, there's justification by faith. There's also healing by faith. Are, do faithful people still not receive healing sometimes? Yes, I don't know why. I'm not trying to seek out the answers of why things aren't working. I'm trying to ask the Lord, help me to see things work more according to your word. So if I know that he has carried every single one of my diseases, sicknesses, illnesses, allergies, all those things, if he's carried them, then I'm not carrying them anymore. So I wanna grow in my faith to receive those things. Dave, you wanna grab your stuff again? It's the same thing as we talked about before. Where he's talking these words here, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so he could be healed. You know what that word whole means? State of well-being. Somebody asks me, if I know they're coming up and they're asking me in a contentious way, do you believe that God always wants you to be healed? And why aren't people getting healed? You know, some people come with pretty harsh attitude. I'll say this. I'll say, let's simplify it. Can you believe that God wants you to be well? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay. So do you need to have your leg healed for you to be well? Do you need your stomach healed? Do you need your mind or emotions healed? Whatever that is for you to be walking in a, in a state of well-being because he was beaten. So you could be whole. That word whole means state of well-being. Whatever you have in your life, let's practice by faith bringing that to Jesus and saying, uh, if you already carried that 2,000 years ago, I'm just gonna hand it to you once again by faith and I'm gonna keep praying and praying until I see breakthrough. So Dave has a, you know, a bad leg and he has his crutch, so then he hands it to me. 
after he gets the ace bandage off. Now, all right, so that's one less thing he has on him. And he has a bad doctor's report that he has something growing in him. So he hands it to me. I'm just playing the part of Jesus. And then he has some allergies. So he's gonna give me some nasal decongestant and his muscles are sore. So he's gonna give me that and then an ace bandage, whatever. Okay, now, if Jesus already carried 100% of the sicknesses and diseases on him, how many things is David in the spirit realm carrying? None, zero. So by faith, like I have contacts in right now. And when we pray, when we pray for healing, I'll pray and I'll, and I'll open my eyes. Okay, I can still see clear. Because I know if and when my eyes are healed and I open them up, it's gonna be really blurry because I have contacts in and my eyes will be well. Follow me? Okay, so I'm not saying this from 100% breakthrough. What I'm saying is by faith, if we can picture this in our spirit, the great exchange, he's carried every sickness, illness, disease, anguish, all that stuff on him already before you ever faced your first pain. Now we can come not with, well, I've already prayed 30 times for and I haven't experienced it, so I get discouraged. No, you keep seeing this and seeing this and you should get more and more encouraged as time goes. Not, well, I didn't see breakthrough. Well, I have another opportunity for breakthrough. Thanks, Dave. I think it was Reinhard Bonnke that said when he, and he's seen millions of people saved and he's seen people uh, delivered and healed. I think it was him who said, if he prays for a hundred people and the first 99 haven't gotten healed, he prays for that hundredth person as if all those 99 have gotten healed because he knows it's been paid for. So his emotions, his feeling of inadequacy don't get in the way. Because if you're like, I'm feeling good now, be healed. And you think it's you. You didn't carry that person's sickness. You didn't carry that person's disease. You've just been, you, you, God's shown enough mercy on you to give you the Holy Spirit to live in him to share your prayer and your faith with that person. So if they are discouraged and they don't have faith, we don't get down on, oh, you didn't get healed because you didn't have faith. Please don't say that. Have faith for them. Jesus had faith for people who didn't have faith to get healed. But faith is required. So if someone's discouraged, have the faith to see breakthrough. If they don't get breakthrough, then begin. We can start teaching them about faith. And what is faith? It's trusting that this is actually true. It's trusting with all of your heart that he was beaten so you could be whole and he was whipped so you could be healed. Why don't we stand? I just want to read two other verses. Then we're going to sing, uh, sing one song. We're gonna ask if you need prayer for healing. This isn't like a good lesson. We, we want, we're praying that Jesus shows up and heals today. It's not just a little talk on repentance. We wanna give you an opportunity to repent of your sins, come back to the Lord or come to him for the very first time. Jesus fulfilled these scriptures in so many different areas. I just wanna to point to two that actually refer back to Isaiah. In Matthew 8, 16, it says, that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. Can you say all? All sick. So he healed all the sick. And it says, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said he took our sicknesses and he removed our diseases. So him casting out 100% of the demons and him healing all the sick was fulfilling what, I, what was prophesied in Isaiah. And guess what? He didn't even go to the cross yet. He's fulfilling these things. He didn't even take the beatings and the whippings yet. It wasn't even fulfilled for all the generations in the future to actually experience. 
When I'm looking at physical healing, I could get quite overwhelmed even as a pastor to think about all the times you've prayed and you ha- I haven't seen healing. Or people that have come to the altar and have walked uh, home saying, well, I don't feel different now, we'll continue to pray. But our experience right here isn't absolute truth. This is absolute truth. And the absolute truth is 100% of people that came to Jesus were healed. So I can have knowledge that in this realm, I've prayed for people and they haven't been healed. And and I myself have not been healed in certain things. But I can also know that absolute truth is my Savior healed everybody. So I'm not going to let this discourage me. I'm going to keep my eyes on this. See, everybody that came to you was healed. And you've carried all this. That makes me excited to pray for people. To see what is Jesus going to do today. The second scripture I want to share is in 1 Peter 2.21. It says, God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. And then it begins to share from Isaiah 53. And in verse 24, it says, these are the example, the example that we're to follow, that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right, next sentence, by his wounds, you are healed. And many of your translations say, were healed, because it's past tense, meaning Jesus already died and was beaten and was whipped for our healing and for our salvation. So I want want to have the confidence and the assurance today that 100% of the people that say, I need Jesus in my life for the first time, or I need to come back right on his path, I'm going to believe 100% of you that respond that way are actually having faith to receive that and you're walking out of here without guilt and shame. I'm gonna believe that gee, anybody that comes forward to receive prayer in your body, or if you have any, you know, any uh, mental illnesses that you want us to pray for, something you know is just out of place, I'm gonna believe that because he healed every single person, that is quite possible. Every single person walks out of here. Maybe they don't feel different because it's something they can't test right now. I'm gonna believe that Jesus is gonna move in our bodies. So if you bow your heads just for a moment, I appreciate you hanging in here with me. Stay patient as we see God move. I want to ask if there is anyone in this room that does not know Jesus personally, that when you read those verses, that he bore all your sins so you could be righteous. If you know that that's not you and you want to be counted as righteous, you want to be born again, you want to be right with God because Jesus has already forgiven your sins. You want to receive that. Or if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're walking in your own path. You're walking in your own way. You know the Good Shepherd is far from you, and it's not because he left. It's because you did. Either of those two things, if that's you today, I want you just to raise your hand so I can acknowledge you and look up at me. You can be bold and confident about it today so you can leave here under no more guilt or condemnation knowing you're right with God in his kingdom forevermore. Is there anyone in this room today that wants to receive that. Thank you, Father. I see these hands right here. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Anyone? I see your hand, gentlemen. Thank you for your boldness and your courage. I'm proud of you. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Anyone else just want to come back to God? I see you, buddy. Proud of you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else for the very first time or just want to come back into the sheepfold? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Okay, I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna do is just say a prayer of confession. Maybe you didn't even raise your hand. I want even those who know you're believers just to repeat this. If you raise your hand and you know uh, you need to confess these sins, just repeat this after me. It's not a special prayer. I want your faith to believe that Jesus is doing something. And then we're gonna celebrate uh, what God's doing and we're gonna pray for the sick. Say this after me if you don't mind. Say, God, today I confess that I've sinned against you and that I need a savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all my sins and that he was raised from the dead so that I may have new life in him. I choose to die to my sinful nature and follow Jesus as he transforms me into God's image that I was created for. I now surrender my life to Jesus, making him my Lord, and I receive him as my savior. I believe I'm now a child of God, a new creation, born again spiritually into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now let's celebrate actually realizing people are being snatched out of darkness and into light. Hallelujah, Lord! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you care about people so much that you come and you take them into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.